Welcome to another episode of PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Soboleski, and this is episode six in the fracture season. We're going to be focusing on fractures of the femur and select hip injuries in children. As was the case with previous episodes, Cincinnati Children's and I have partnered to deliver CME and MOC Part 2. You can find details in the show notes and on PEMblog.com. This episode will not include information on pelvic fractures. These are generally seen in significant trauma, and the fracture season of PEM currents is focused on injuries of the extremities. Now, the femur is our biggest bone, and as you might imagine, it takes quite a bit of force to break it. The proximal portion of the femur is comprised of the head, neck, and the greater and lesser trochanters. Then you have the shaft, and then the distal femur, which includes the medial and lateral epicondyles and the trochlea. So let's start with femoral shaft fractures, because that's what you'll see most commonly. Two out of three of all femur fractures occur in the shaft in children. There's a bimodal distribution. You've got toddlers that fall, and then you have adolescents who break them in motor vehicle collisions and when playing sports. More boys than girls will have a femur fracture. Though it's a strong bone, seemingly minor forces can result in a spiral femoral shaft fracture. You know, this is like twisting with a planted foot while you're playing soccer. Transverse fractures, as opposed to spiral fractures, require a lot more force to break. So in infants, you have to take a really good history and always think that non-accidental trauma is possible, especially in the kid that's pre-ambulatory, so less than 12 months old or not walking yet. Older kids... And teens, you're going to see falls, motor vehicle collisions, sports. A story that could result in a femur fracture in a teenager would be a soccer player who's running along, steps in a hole, twists their leg, falls to the ground, and the femur snaps. You can also see incidental femur fractures in kids with chronic diseases like cerebral palsy, osteogenesis imperfecta, spina bifida. I've seen kids get femur fractures during physical therapy and routine care like diaper changes. On exam, a mid-shaft femur fracture is generally pretty obvious. Patients are going to have swelling, deformity, and asymmetry. They're going to hold the hip and knee in flexion and look for even small lacerations, which would indicate an open fracture. Fortunately, the development of compartment syndrome in the thigh is rare. It's just a big old compartment with room to swell. If they're in high-energy trauma, look for other injuries. The odds ratio for intra-abdominal injury in a child with a femur fracture is approximately 6. So if you have enough force to break your femur, you have enough force to break your liver. X-rays generally are the AP and lateral views of the entire femur from the hip to the knee. If you have a mid-shaft femur fracture, the initial management is stabilization, pain control, and then call orthopedics from the ED. With a temporary splint, you need to immobilize the knee and the hip. And this is on the posterior aspect of the leg. You can bolster it with pillows and blankets and splint it as it lies for comfort. You're kind of building like a, a pillow and a blanket fort around this broken femur with a splint on the back. Remove any traction splint if it was applied in a pre-hospital setting. There's a high risk of pressure ulcers. And don't place a patient in traction yourself unless ortho really decides that it's needed. Definitive management of femur shaft fractures depends on the age of the patient and the type of injury. So in kids that are less than 5 years of age, they rarely need an operation. Less than 12-month-olds can get a well-padded splint, and newborns less than 4 months old can get a pavlic harness. 
These actually usually heal within a month, although you'll rarely see these in the ED. For a little bit older kids, so between the one year and four to five years of age, the hip spica cast is the mainstay. And you can Google a picture of these, but they look like cast pants with a big trap door cut in the bottom so you can shove a diaper in there. If the femur is greater than 10 degrees angulation, they're going to need closed reduction in addition to that spica. Fractures shortened greater than 2 centimeters may benefit from a little bit of traction as well, but this is at the discretion of ortho. You need to have several people there to place the hip spica, and this should be done under sedation in the emergency department or in the operating room. Patients are admitted for teaching and observation following spica placement. In kids that are between 6 and 10 years of age, intramedullary flexible rods are the mainstay of treatment for stable fracture patterns. For kids that are older than 11, they'll have a rigid rod, or maybe that intramedullary rod, and plates and external fixators are an option as well. Ultimately, initial healing can take about six weeks with a months-long recovery process for femoral shaft fractures. Moving further down the leg, let's talk about distal femur fractures, which are more rare than shaft fractures. They comprise about one out of every nine femur fractures overall. In infants and toddlers, they're either from falls or child abuse. That corner fracture is a Salter-Harris II fracture that is highly suspicious for abuse. In older kids, you'll see fractures after motor vehicle collisions, pedestrians or bike riders that are struck by a car, and all manner of sports injuries. On exam, you'll have a child in severe pain, unable to bear weight, and they will keep the knee flexed because of the hamstring spasm. Always assess for vascular compromise. Reference the tibia and fibula episode for a distal extremity assessment for the neurovascular status in the lower extremity. But if you've got poor distal pulses, swelling in the popliteal space, or a cold foot, well, you should be worried about a vascular injury. X-rays, again, are an AP and a lateral femur, and knee films if you're concerned about a distal femur injury. You will mobilize for comfort, splinting the hip and the knee before consulting ortho, and definitely give pain meds. These hurt a lot. And again, no traction splints. Metaphyseal is the most common type of distal femur fracture in infants and young kids. This is also known as the supracondylar femoral fracture, and they're usually managed with casting alone in young children. Greater than 10 degrees of angulation merits close reduction. In older kids, you'll do open reduction on internal fixation with hardware. Physeal fractures, Salter-Harris II being the most common, can see the periosteum get pulled into the fracture plane. And so therefore, careful consideration and early ortho consultation are definitely needed in distal femur Salter-Harris fractures. Let's move back up the leg to proximal femur fractures. And fortunately, these are rare in kids and require a ton of force to make happen. They comprise about less than 1% of all pediatric fractures. The physis is the weak point, but the hip overall is incredibly strong, and so more than 90% of proximal femur fractures are associated with high impact falls, motor vehicle collisions, struck by a car. So it's rare that you're going to see the non-major trauma hip fractures that I'll discuss here. Of note, minor trauma can lead to fractures in kids with osteogenesis imperfecta, CP, pathologic lesions, etc. X-rays include AP and lateral. And if you're suspicious of a proximal femur injury, an MRI can be very helpful as well. So if you need to temporarily splint a hip fracture, a molded plaster or fiberglass splint from the iliac crest to the ankle 
bolstered again by pillows and blankets, that blanket fort for the broken hip is very helpful. The proximal femur or hip fractures, if you're talking about the femur causing it, can be divided into four types, and these are according to the classification by Delbert, not Dilbert. So type 1 is transepiphyseal. This is the proximal femoral physis, and it can occur with and without dislocation of the hip. This is the least common type, and this is often seen as a newborn delivery fracture, but it's also really worrisome for NAT. This is kind of like a traumatic skiffy, and I'll talk about skiffy a little bit more in a moment. Type 2 is one half of all pediatric hip fractures, and this is a fracture through the femoral neck. Type 3 is cervicotrochanteric, and this is about a quarter of all peds hip fractures, and that's through the base of the femoral neck. And type 4 is intertrochanteric. It's between the greater and lesser trochanters. This actually has the best overall outcome, but it isn't seen all that frequently. The first three types are often displaced, and ortho may need to emergently both reduce and relocate the hip and evacuate a hip capsule hematoma. So if you don't do those, there is the theoretical risk of avascular necrosis or osteonecrosis. However, studies, at least in kids under 11, aren't conclusive as to whether or not this reduction done within 12 hours reduces that risk of AVN. Definitely in teens and adults, though, they want to get those done ASAP. In short, all traumatic peds hip fractures require an orthoconsult in the ED. Anything that needs surgery or a procedure or reduction or evacuation of that hematoma should get it done within 24 hours. The main long-term complications include AVN of the femoral head, malunion, physio rest, and more. And so I said that I'd come back to Skiffy, and so here we are. Let's talk a little bit about this highly testable entity. Technically, it's a Salter-Harris-1 fracture of the proximal femoral physis. Classic story is an overweight adolescent who presents with indolent knee pain. And that knee pain is referred pain from the obturator nerve. So the problem's at the hip, but they feel the pain radiating down the thigh to the knee. The growth plate is fractured, and it's actually the metaphysis that moves out of its normal position. So it slides anteriorly, and it externally rotates. Patients will limp and internally rotate at the hip, and the x-ray shows that classic ice cream that's falling off the cone appearance. It can be very subtle, and you should look for asymmetry on your x-rays. 20% are actually bilateral at presentation, and a opposite-side skiffy can develop over time even after the initial is diagnosed. The left, for whatever reason, is more common than the right. Ideal management of a skiffy is surgery, so open reduction, internal fixation, done within 24 hours of the diagnosis to prevent the risk of AVN. All right, so that's all that I've got on femur fractures in children. Know that the femur is a really big bone and it's very strong, but certain mechanisms, whether they're high-impact trauma or just planting a foot and twisting wrong, can break it. The management really differs based on how old the kid is. If you're younger than four or five, probably going to get a hip spike cast. If you're older than that, then surgery is needed with intramedullary nails or other devices the bigger that you get. Distal femur fractures are incredibly painful and fortunately rarely seen. They always need orthopedic consults, just like femoral shaft fractures. And proximal femur fractures are rare to see in the child that doesn't have multi-system trauma or wasn't involved in a high-impact incident. Make sure 
you spend time learning about Skiffy for whatever board test that you're going to take, because let's be honest, it's going to show up on there. All right, so that's it for episode six of the Fracture Season of PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast. I'd love to get your feedback, so leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast content. Check out PEMblog.com for more great educational content. Follow me on Twitter at PEMTweets and check out the Facebook page. For PEM Currents, the Pediatric Emergency Medicine Podcast, this has been Brad Soboleski. See you next time.